I too want to say welcome to those that are online. We know that you are there. I want you to know sometimes I know that my mind gets in the place of the people that I see right here in the flesh right in front of me. But we, we know you're there. We pray for you and we think about you every week in our worship planning. And we are so grateful that you are connecting with us online. I know some of you live far away and we are grateful for that. And if you're ever driving through, even during the week, please stop by and say hello. We would love to connect with you. Uh, we, we really, really would. And at the end of this service, we're going to have a special time uh, in this space. But you're going to have it also right there online as well. So uh, please be prepared for that. We are so glad that you're with us. And if you you're in the house, you're brand new, we would love to meet you. We really, 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 really would. We know looking for a church can be daunting. You are moved in from out of town. Uh, the Ingalls, they came from Amarillo, and I know when they came from Amarillo, they, where do we go? You look for a church, and it takes a long time sometimes, and we understand that. But we would love to meet you and get to know you just a little bit. Please give us that opportunity. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them uh, on your phone or on your hard Bible. I would remind you every time you walk into worship, there's a little tray right there. If you're in the space, and you can take a Bible, and you can use your own right there, and go to the book of James. This morning, uh, we're going to wrap up this message series we've been working on for the past seven weeks uh, called uh, How Do I by looking at this 30,000 view of this little book called James. Next weekend, we're starting a new message series. It will only last four weeks. We're calling it Be Cool. How appropriate, right? Be cool. And we're going to kind of look through the book of Judges at four different characters, and we're going to learn how to lead ourselves. This really message series this is about self-leadership. Anybody besides me has some areas in your life where you could grow a little bit on self-leadership, on leading yourself. And that's what, because, man, before people are going to follow you, you, can they lead themselves? So that's kind of what the focus is going to be on for those four weeks. And it's a great opportunity to invite someone. Anytime we start a new series, it's a great opportunity to say, hey, man, we're starting something new. Would you please come join us? So I would invite you, you to do that. But, but this weekend, uh, we're wrapping up our How Do I series. And, man, I've really enjoyed this. It's been, I always kind of hate saying goodbye to a series. I don't mind telling you, you live it, you breathe it, you wrestle with it. And we've learned a whole lot. Uh, if you remember in James chapter 1, there were really two primary messages that we learned, things we learned, how to persevere in trials. You know, how do you overcome trials, and how do you look at your trials a little bit differently and to see that God is actually working in the middle of them? We also learn how to improve our relationships, primarily by learning how to manage our mouth. That some of us, our mouths get us in trouble. And to learn how to be quicker to listen and slow to speak and how that can change the dynamics in any relationship. And in chapter 2, we learn the importance of being free from the trap of wealth. That you and I live in a culture where so subtly we get sucked in and we're a part of it. And we live in the culture, but not to be a part of the culture. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves playing favoritism. And chapter 2 just really warns us about playing favorites. And, 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 and then also over here, excuse me, in chapter 1 about playing favorites. But then over here in chapter 2, you know, we have this kind of comment... Uh, Chapter 2 is about wealth, but chapter 3 is about two things we learned about taming the tongue. And Jeff did a marvelous job last weekend in chapter 3 that my words from my tongue can build people up or tear them down. And being very conscious of that. And then also Judy taught us there's two kinds of wisdom, earthly wisdom and godly wisdom. And godly wisdom always ends in you and me being a peacemaker. Because that what 
God does. God is a God of shalom, always working toward peace. And then in chapter 4, we learn that you and I have a problem. And we learned of our biggest problem. And the biggest problem is you can't solve it. But God has. And that when we humble ourselves and we receive his grace, our biggest problem can be solved. And here we are to our very last lesson, our very last practice in chapter 5. And it's appropriate that this last lesson comes at the end of the book. Because this lesson is all about when you get to the end of your rope. This lesson is all about when you're running out of steam. This is when you get to a point in your life and you don't know where to turn or to whom to turn. And this is where James writes these very important words to the very end of this little book, chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So this final lesson, this final practice that James is teaching us is about the idea of prayer. Now, I know that when I mention this word prayer, it creates all sorts of stuff in people. It's not the most exciting and engaging topic. Most folks don't like to hear a message about prayer. If you will remember here a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple of weeks, couple of months ago now, time passes so quickly, is that the second message of our Rooted series was about prayer. And here it is again, pop it up in the scriptures. So this tells us it's a pretty important subject. You find it, but most of us feel uncomfortable with this concept or the idea of prayer. Maybe it's because that you were raised in a church and you were raised in a home where you were just admonished. You gotta pray, you gotta pray, you gotta pray before you eat. You got to pray before you go to bed. And so because you're someone who doesn't pray very often and you kind of feel like the nun is slapping your hand with the ruler, right, about you not doing this, that when we, even the subject comes up, you go, I know, I know, I know, I know. You're so full of guilt and shame because you don't pray. I know I should. I know I should. This is not what this message is about. Not at all. Some of you hear this word prayer, you don't even know what to say. You don't want the words to say because you're kind of confused about it. Because you've heard certain people pray, and when they pray, they get all kind of smart, and they start quoting stuff in the Scripture. And you think, I can't do that because I don't know the Bible well enough to quote Scripture, so that means I cannot pray. Uh, maybe you're someone who gets the words mixed up. You try to memorize all these prayers, right? Because you don't know how to pray yourself, so you memorize prayers. But then you get frustrated because you get the words mixed up, like the little kid who was in Sunday school praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, herald be your name, right? 
and then you get all frustrated. Ah, that's not right, and you just quit. Maybe you're somebody, you stop praying because your mind wanders when you pray. Anybody have their mind wander when they pray? Raise your hand really high. Raise your hand. Yeah, don't be embarrassed. Look around. You're not the only one. Hey, some of your minds are wandering right now. I mean, I can tell. I'm looking right at you, but you're somewhere else. I mean, our minds just wander. Or maybe some of you are cynical about prayer. You're a little suspicious about it because there was a time in your life where you prayed because something was going on in your life or somebody else's life. And you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you go, I don't even know if God cares. I don't even know if God is listening. I don't even go, regardless of your situation, the end result on most people when they have all these different conflicting thoughts and emotions about prayer is that you stop praying. You just stop. You don't pray at all. And the sad thing about it is you kind of come to a belief, my life is going to turn out the same whether I pray or I don't pray. Now, when you study the Bible and you look at the followers of Jesus, they were laser-focused on the importance of prayer in their life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're welcome here. If you're someone who's not sure who Jesus is or is real, you think it's hocus pocus or God is not real, and God, somebody just twisted your arm this morning and you came to church, you don't even like church, I want you to tell you, you're welcome here. Everybody's welcome here from all walks of life. You're welcome here. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to discover that prayer is a critical facet of their life. Over here in uh, Luke chapter 11, we had this one little powerful little verse. It's just one verse, verse 1. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, this is pretty interesting. So often Jesus would be busy. He'd be healing people. He'd be answering their questions. And all of a sudden, Jesus would just walk away and go to a place and start praying. It was almost rude. He would stop what he was doing, and he would go, and he would spend time with God in prayer. Now, I want you to notice what the disciples don't say. They do not say, hey, Jesus, you got to stop sneaking off. you got to stop walking away right in the middle of a healing or a teaching I mean, you are, you are the thing right now. You're trending on social media. You're the bomb. we got to take advantage of your public notoriety. You're an influencer. we got to take, you can't, you can't sabotage this by just walking away when you're right in the middle of something. You can't do, notice they didn't say that. Here's what they said. Jesus, will you teach us to do what you're doing? Teach us how to pray. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, you know he did some pretty cool stuff. I mean, some really cool stuff. I mean, would somebody agree with me that walking on water is pretty cool? Wouldn't that, pretty, wouldn't that be pretty cool? You invite the family over for a swimming party this afternoon, and you go, watch this, and you start walking on the water. Can, wouldn't you like to be able to do that? That'd be so cool. Wouldn't you like to go through McDonald's and get one Happy Meal and drive downtown to Fort Worth? And get out there and walk up and down Lancaster and be able to feed every person you saw just for three ninety. How much does a Happy Meal cost today? I don't know. How much? Nobody knows. Okay. 
Sorry. They said, but, but just for $5, whatever it is, would you, and feed all those people? That'd be pretty cool. That'd be, wouldn't it be pretty cool? Jesus did that. Would it, wouldn't it be pretty cool for you to go home, turn on your faucet, fill up the, the, the sink with water, and turn that water into wine and have communion right there? That'd be pretty cool. Would you agree? All the cool stuff Jesus did, the disciples not once said, Jesus, could you teach us how to do that cool stuff? One thing, one thing only in four Gospels, one thing he said, would you teach us to do? They said, would you teach us to pray? Because they saw that somehow in this concept of prayer, they saw Jesus, the power, the presence, and the life of God himself in Jesus in that prayer time. And they said, we got to know how to do this. So now we got James, a disciple of Jesus, but not just any disciple who's wrapping up these little five chapters. But he's also the brother of Jesus. He watched Jesus his whole life. In the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, and somehow he grabbed hold of this thing. This thing, prayer, must be pretty important because I see my brother doing it all the time. And he grabbed these five lessons that he observed from his brother and he teaches them to you and me right here in these texts. And I want to share them with you. And here's the first one prayer starts where I am. Prayer starts exactly where you are. That's where it starts. I want you to overcome all the, th the false, the crazy ideas that you have about what prayer is. Simply, it just starts right where you are. Notice how he starts the scripture. Hey, if you're in trouble, pray about that. Are you happy? Sing songs of praise, which really is prayer. Are you sick? Pray about that. In fact, ask some other people to pray about that. Prayer starts exactly where you are. Prayer is not that complicated. Prayer, simply said, is an authentic, authentic, interactive conversation with God about what is going on in your life right now. Authentic conversation. Here's the problem. Too many of us, when we start praying, we start getting inauthentic. We stop being authentic. You think that when you pray, because you heard other people do this, you got to change the tone of your voice. You got to change your posture. You get all whispery and all kind of, oh, and kind of change this. Or you get your voice down right here and all this. Story. You think you got to do that to pray. And James is saying, no, 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 no. Some of you think because you've heard other people pray and they prayed so smart and they sounded so holy that you got to be smart and holy and you start saying words you do not use in your everyday vocabulary. You start using all the omni words. God, you are so omnipresent. You are omniscient. You were omni, 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 omni. You think that's going to, you say the right omni, it will unlock the power of heaven in your life. And James says, absolutely not necessary to pray. You just start right where you are, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're experiencing, whatever's going on in your life, whatever it is. Pastor Judah Smith was once asked, was said by a member of his congregation, said, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. This was his response. Do you know how to yell? Do you know how to be angry? 
Do you know how to express your thoughts and your feelings? Do you know how to be honest about what you're thinking? Then you can pray. How many of you looked at a child and said, look to me, you're not listening to me? Anybody ever said that? Everybody turn to your spouse. I, I, I don't think you're listening to what I'm saying. Anybody ever said that? If you can say that, you can pray. Your prayer is just being honest with God about what's going on in your life. And please get this. You don't even have to say words to pray. Get this. Even if you don't believe in God, you are praying sometimes and you don't even know it. Because your soul is always praying. Your soul is always longing. Your soul is always aching. Your soul always craving something deep within the inner being, who you really are as a person. It's always doing that. Listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say over here. The great writer of the book of Romans, who also over here just wrote Romans chapter 8, which in my opinion, one of the most powerful chapters in, in, in the Bible. In fact, I'm thinking about one, one series. We're just going to walk through Romans chapter 8, some series. I, we might do that next summer. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just a powerful little chapter. But he says, verse 26 of chapter 8, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. Does that comfort anybody besides me? That the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, did not know sometimes what to say in his prayers. Here's what it, but he comes out. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless, what's the next word? Groans. Prayer is groaning. Prayer is aching. Prayer is whatever in your soul that comes to the top, that you experience it, you become aware of it. That's exactly what Jesus does when he goes off to pray. He goes off to get quiet, to get still, to be aware of what's happening in his soul, and he allows it to come to the top. Here's what I know. Many of you in this room, you're watching online, anyone who can hear my voice, you're watching this in the middle of the week at 3 o'clock in the morning. You have scars in your soul from your childhood. You have wounds from a previous marriage in your soul that you've not finished dealing with yet. You have gratitude in your soul. You have hope in your soul. You have expectations met and unmet. You have hopes and dreams within your soul. Some of you have anger because of grief of a child that has died. I could go on and on and on and on and on. And prayer is simply you, where you are, starting right there and allowing what's in your soul to come to the surface and let God be aware of it as you experience it. It's simple. It's that simple. Secondly, prayer is, my second lesson is my prayers are received. My prayers are not just uttered. My prayers are not just words that are released into the air. I do not pray for my own benefit. I do not pray as an act of self-therapy, as a sect of catharsis for my soul. I pray because there is a God who hears. There is a God who listens. There is a God who is paying attention to what I am saying. James is very clear. 
We pray because God is listening. God cares. He said, verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord, we'll come back to that later, and the Lord will raise them up. God will hear. God will do something about what he hears. God will act and respond. God listens. Now, we see this throughout scripture. If God is anything, God is someone who listens. Some of you Bought into this idea because years ago you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and nothing happened that God's not listening. But if God's not listening, God is not God. There is no God. Because that's who God is. It's one who listens. The Bible's clear. Exodus chapter 3 and this calling of Moses uh, to go and deliver the people uh, from Egypt. It goes like this in verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them. I've got that circled in my Bible. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned. I care about their suffering, says the Lord. Over in 1 Kings chapter 17, a prophet named Elijah visits the house of a widow whose son had just died. And the scriptures record Elijah praying to the Lord on her behalf. Then he stretched himself out on the board, the scripture says, three times and cried out to God, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. We pray because we trust that God is listening. We pray because we trust that God hears. We pray not as a religious exercise. We don't pray because the pastor said you need to pray. We don't pray because your mom and daddy told you, you say your prayers before you go to bed or before you eat. We pray because there is a God who is alive and listening and cares and receives receives our prayers. A single man was telling me about how he entered into the dating life again and how he's learned that texting is very important in the modern day world about dating. And he says, now there's this one particular woman, she won't even talk to me except through texting. And I sometimes I send her a text and I get this little notification that says sent or delivered. And every time it's sent or delivered, I have this sense of anxiety. I'm wondering, you know, did she get it? Did she get it? Did she, did she, what I was expressing. But every once in a while he said, I get a little notification that says delivered. And when I get that notification delivered, I know she has received it. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if she's going to say yes or she's going to respond in kind. But I feel connected to her just based on our knowing she received it. You have a God who just doesn't hear but receives, receives your prayers. And he cares. The Bible's clear. Third little lesson. My prayers can change reality. Did you know that? Did you know that your prayers can change reality? James says your prayers will make a difference. Over here in, in, in that chapter, and at the very last line we read, it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. It makes a difference. It can change reality. In fact, say that with me. 
Say it with me. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I wonder if you really believe that. Do you believe that your prayers are powerful and effective? Your prayers make a difference. Your prayers can help change the reality of other people's life. Your prayers are not just a minor form of power. There are a major form of power. I'm talking about a power that you do not have at your disposal except for the practice and the experience of this thing called prayer. You don't pray and say, okay, I'm going to pray, and now I'm going to go solve the problem. You pray believing there's a power that's unleashed when you pray that's going to be helping in the solving of the problem. You just don't pray and say, now I'll get to work and fix it. No. There's a story in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus comes across this kid and he has an evil spirit in him. Anybody ever had a teenager that you thought was demonized with an evil spirit? And you did everything you could to get that evil spirit out of that teenager, right? You did everything that you could to get them healed from that. Well, Jesus does it. And the disciples come up and they say, Jesus, we tried over and over and over and over and over and over again, and we just couldn't do it. He said, what's the secret? He said, this kind can only come out through what? Through prayer. Church, I'm telling you, there is a power at your disposal that you have in no other place except in this experience called prayer. That does not mean that every time you pray that there's going to be a power that you're going to get what you want, when you want, as you want it. That doesn't mean that at all. Sometimes when you pray, God will not answer in the way that you want him. Sometimes the timeline will be very different than what you expected. Sometimes the answer will be wait. Sometimes it will be not yet. Sometimes it will be not this way, but this way. But sometimes, sometimes God will answer your prayers exactly the way you ask. Sometimes God will answer prayer just for his own pleasure the way you ask. Sometimes. There was this son of an ophthalmologist who got invited to go on a mission trip to Sierra Longa, Africa. He went with the medical team. They went into an area that was so impoverished, so destitute, that their work, he felt like, was making very little difference. All the medicine, all the medical skills, just very little difference. And they came across this woman whose eyes were so covered with cataracts, her eyes were pure white. And nothing they did could change or impact those cataracts. They did not have the means. They had two choices, pray or just quit. And they decided to pray. And this son of an ophthalmologist who's a skeptic when it came to eyes, he testified that while we were praying over this woman, her pupils turned from white to black. As I watched as we prayed, I watched it happen. And he said, I am an eye skeptic. And I will tell you, this is harder for me to accept because I'm an eye skeptic. I have a mother-in-law who's almost blind. I have people in my family who have glaucoma, serious glaucoma issues. 
But he said, you know what? There was no medicine and there was no surgery. And the only explanation could be there was power in prayer that healed that woman. Now, let me say this. Let me be very clear because sometimes in the church, the church has abused this concept so many about prayer and healing. So please understand this so that it's perfectly clear about the subject matter. In the Bible, physical healing is never an end in itself. It's not the main event ever, ever. It's always a bigger picture, a bigger thing that God is doing. It is the preamble. It is the foretaste of the bigger thing that God is going to do. Such in the scriptures, Lazarus, he dies, Jesus' best friend, ultimate act of healing. He raised him from the dead. Would you agree? Pretty impressive miracle. But one day later, Lazarus dies. He gets sick. Doctors can't heal him. The miracle of Lazarus coming out of the tomb wasn't about Lazarus coming out of the tomb. It was pointing to the future of there's going to come a day, Lazarus, when I will call you out of the tomb and you will live with me forever in eternity and nothing in earth can touch you then. That is the miracle he's pointing to. See, the main event is not the healing. Salvation is the main event. Redemption is the main event. Forgiveness is the main event. Reconciliation is the main event. Eternity is the main event. Sometimes when you and I pray, God doesn't answer exactly the way you want because God sees the bigger picture. God sees something bigger that's going on. It's not for you and me to understand what God is doing or what God is not doing. Because you can't. It would kill you if you understood. That's not our job. Our job is simply to pray. That's our job. Knowing that reality can be changed when you do that. Sometimes it will. Sometimes it won't. But there's a spiritual reality that is forever. There's no words you can say that will make God heal somebody. Stop trying. You just pray. Trusting that God's going to. And this truth remains. Sometimes the scripture says you don't have because you don't ask. So you ask. And you ask. And you ask. And you just trust whatever God's how it works bigger picture, that reality is being changed, even when you can't see it. Number four, prayer always involves confession. James takes a turn. You think you got it figured out. You got your list. I'm going to pray for this. I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pray for that. And all of a sudden he says, whoop, it's not just that. You got to bring the real you to the table. You got to bring the real you to the table. It's not just about what you want, what you like. You got to, you got, it always involves confession. I love this little verse that we said a while ago. It says, the prayer of a righteous person, the very last verse we read, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Please hear this. You do not become righteous by trying harder. You will never become righteous 
by trying to be good ever. Here's how you become righteous. By confessing your sin and your brokenness and your inequities and your failures and your inabilities and your weakness, you confess them to God. God begins to make you righteous as you do that. But here's the problem. You and I don't like to do that. We go to God and we pray and we pray and we pray. And the reason your prayers don't work is you start. You don't start with what's wrong with you. You start with what's wrong with somebody else. You start with their problem. God, fix my wife. Fix that kid. Correct them. You don't start with self. And the scripture is saying here very clear. You can never experience healing unless you confess your sins to one another so that your sins, so that you will be healed. You cannot, they go together. They work together. So we pray, but we skip over the part about us being judgmental. We skip over the part about us not forgiving someone. We skip over the part about how critical we are, how stubborn we are, how silent we are. We give the people a silent treatment. We overlook all that stuff, and we just get to the, all the other stuff. And here's what happens over a while. You, you do that way. You start pretending. You start, there's nothing wrong with you, and you act like there's nothing wrong with you. You start doing that because we all do that. We love to pretend. I don't want anybody to think there's something wrong with me. It's all them. They need fixed. And you keep doing that pretty soon, you'll start going, you know what? God feels so far away from me. It feels like God's not even paying attention to me. It feels like God, I don't feel like God is close. It feels like God's watching Netflix all the time or doing his laundry or going on vacation. Where is God? God has gone somewhere. I will tell you, you feeling the, pre the presence of God is not about God's proximity. It's because you're pretending. It's all about you. You're pretending. That's a sign. If you feel like God is far away, that's a sign that you're going through emotions and you're not bringing your real brokenness to God to deal with your stuff. That's where it starts. That's where it begins. And you're afraid. If I do that, God's going to bring his wrath upon me. No, no, no. The scripture says, Psalm 51, 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. God loves it when you confess. God loves it when you admit because you're being real. You're being genuine. You're being authentic. You're not being like, I've got my act together because God knows. And not only that, he ups the game. He says, don't just confess. Confess to one another. And you're going, <laughs> I'm out. Because if I confess to somebody else, that may be embarrassing. They might think less of me. In fact, they may turn away and leave me. Can I tell you the truth? It's possible that could happen. And I will tell you, that says something about them, not about you. That says something about where they are and their walk with Jesus, not about you. If somebody does that or if you do that. Because I know, I've seen it a thousand times, that every time someone confesses, healing begins. You will not overcome addiction alone. You will not do it. You won't beat it. You will not beat bitterness alone. I promise you, you cannot do it. 
You will not overcome depression by yourself. Because here's what depressed people do. You retreat. You just want to be by yourself. And the more you're by yourself, the more alone you are. And the more depressed you get. It is only when you go and confess it to somebody else, I am depressed. I'm having, that all of a sudden you begin to be healed. You cannot do it by yourself. Confess your sins to one another. Confess your brokenness to one another so that you may be healed. And you wondered why you're stuck. Because your pride. Anybody getting this? Start where you are. Your prayers are received. Your prayers can change reality. Prayer always involves confession. Always. And there's one more. Here's the last one. Some prayers must be prayed for me. Some prayers must be prayed for me. The reality is sometimes prayer is something somebody else has to do for you. Sometimes the pain is so great, the shame is so dark, the weight is so heavy, and you, have, you don't have the words, you don't have the time, you don't have the energy, you don't have the strength, you don't have the fatigue. Sometimes you just need somebody else to pray for you. And he is clear about that. If you're in trouble, let somebody else pray. In verse 16, he says, confess your sins to each other. Ask them to pray for you. He says in verse 18, verse 14, if you're sick, call upon the elders and ask them to pray upon you. The elders are not the, the old people in the church. The elders are the people who are the spiritual leaders of the church that point the direction to where God is going. And when you don't know how to pray, they have the words to pray. And when you don't have the faith, you can have faith in their faith, and they'll pray for you. Church, sometimes, sometimes, you just need somebody else to do the praying. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Because you've been praying. And you prayed so much, you go, I just want to quit. I'm just going to stop. Sometimes you need to be the person that just says, can I pray for you? You have people in your life that have problems that are so big, your job is not to solve their problems. Would you please stop trying to solve everybody else's problems? Sometimes just say, could I pray with you? There's power in that. There's power when you stand in the gap for someone who can't pray for themselves. There's power in that. So here's what we're going to do. I know there are some of you here this morning, some of you right here online, you brought some stuff with you, and you're not even aware of it. It's in your soul, and we want to pray for you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite the band to come on out right now and kind of get situated. Here in a second, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite some elders and, or some prayer team people or anybody, a small group leader to come and stand up here. And they're just going to come stand up front. And here in a moment, you're going to be invited just to, just to come and just let them pray for you. That's all we're going to do. Very simple. I promise you, there's a power that's unleashed when you invite somebody else to stand in the gap when you can't. And you're going to come forward, you'll state your name. Just even if you know them, just say, hey, my name is Rick. And you know what? I got my dad, my dad's in the hospital again. And I've been praying for my dad. I just, uh, and then we're going to pray for you. 
man, I, I, I got this addiction. I, it's, it's back again. It's back again. And you're just transplanted. What, whatever it is, my marriage. Could you pray for my marriage? And they'll pray for your marriage. That's about it. Is. Hey, I need a job. So I'm going to pray first, and then we're going to do this, okay? Jesus, here we are. We're going to do exactly what your brother told us to do. We're going to start where we are. And God, there are some of us here this morning who come here to worship, and we got all this baggage, we got all this stuff. Some of us come, God, with lots of hopes and dreams. A baby's about to be born, and we're kind of excited, we're kind of scared. We don't know what to do with being a parent. Some just moved into a new town, and we're lost. We don't know where we belong, and we just feel lonely, God. We just feel lonely. God, there are some here who lost someone to death, and the grief is so heavy. There's some that's so excited. They just had a birthday, God, and they just want somebody else to know to pray for them. We, we, we're going to start, God, where we are. And soon as God feel a weight that is so heavy, that is so heavy, we can't carry it anymore. And we're going to start there, God, because that's what your word says. You tell us to start right there. And we tell us to trust you, that you'll answer. You may not answer right now. You might answer tomorrow, God. But your word says you listen and that you will answer, and we're going to trust. Your word says, God, that you are our help in every time of trouble. And you just told us in James, you just told us, if you're in trouble, pray. Ask people to pray for you. So, God... Hear our prayers, hear our troubles, hear our hopes, hear our dreams, hear our prayers. So I'm going to invite the elders or the prayer team, anybody who feels so compelled to pray online, we're going to do it with you as well. Just come up here and stand right now, please. Just find your way to stand right up here. Just find your way. Anybody that's in the prayer team, anybody who has a heart for praying, if you have any elders in the church, just come on up here. Just find your way. Any staff feels compelled, just kind of find your way. And here's what we're going to do. Here in a second, I'm going to invite everybody to stand, and we're going to sing a song. And anytime you're ready, you come forward and just speak to one of these people and say your name. Even if you know them, you say your name. My name is Rick. Just say your name. And just give a word or two. Hey, here's what I got. Here's what I'm hoping for. Here's, And then they're going to say, can I pray for you? Those little words. Can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Then they're going to pray. And have just whatever it takes, okay? So I invite everybody to stand. And let everybody stand. Let us worship God and let us pray. Are you hurting, broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. come to the end of yourself do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling oh come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was born
behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. So bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life was born. Jesus is calling. God wants to give you. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. Come to the altar. empty that nothing is impossible with you if there is a power unleashed when your people pray 
a prayer that is beyond the physical that goes to the spiritual that takes us into the eternal for that which is the same today yesterday and forever so God I pray that even as we leave this place and we go into the world that your power will be with us and you will use us God in the world just to stand in the gap and to pray for other people use us we pray Use us, we pray, to change the world through this gift of the power of prayer. Start with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can stay here for a while if you need to. You can stay. You can stay in your chairs. You can go outside. You can be at the front. And uh, just God's blessing upon you. If you're new, we'd love to meet you. Thank you for coming. Blessings, blessings, blessings.